0: We're in this section of the series now where we're looking at uh, very specific areas of life that we deal with uh, that require wisdom. So last week, we looked at our words and how we speak, and what does Proverbs say about how we speak to one another? Uh, today, we're going to be looking at, um, at anger. What, what does the book of Proverbs, what does God say about our, our anger and, and how we handle it and, and where we channel it and how we overcome it?
1: All right, so we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, so it might be easiest to just follow along in your sermon guide. Um, we're going to start with Proverbs 14:29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts fully. 29:11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. 15:18. 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. 29-22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. 24:28 28 through 29 Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. 16:32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. 25.21-22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you.
0: In a, a recent survey, researcher Ellen Galinsky she asked a thousand children from the ages of uh, or grades three to twelve this question. Parents, this is a scary question for your kids to be asked. If you were granted, and this is to the children. If you were granted one wish. To change the way your mother or father's work affects your life, what would that wish be? thousand kids were asked that question. And what's striking is their answers. Rarely did they say they wanted more FaceTime with their parents. Rather, a vast majority of the kids said, I wish my parents were less stressed and less tired. Now the parents in the survey were completely out in right field. I mean, none of the parents uh, thought that their kids, that their kids, the opinion of their kids was that they would be less stressed or less tired. Uh, this researcher went on to ask these this thousand, this pool of a thousand kids from eight, grades three to twelve uh, about different um, areas of their parents' life. And, and basically asked all these questions to grade, to grade their parents. And the results were fascinating. Uh, overall, parents finished with pretty high marks. The, uh, the, the moms had an overall GPA of 3.14, and the dads got an average of 2.98. Now, I don't know what that says. I'll just leave it at that. We'll explore that at a different time. Uh, but, but what was the, the common factor that kids pointed out in their parents and gave them low grades for revolved around anger uh, and, and anger management. In fact, more than 40% of the kids gave their moms and dads a C, D, or F for, quote, controlling his or her temper when I do something that makes him or her angry. Hmm. A kind of subtle gasp in the room, but it begs the question, okay, so how do we overcome anger? It actually begs a, a, a deeper question, and that, that is, how do we steward our anger? Now, that question, how do we steward our anger, implies that there actually is a good anger or a righteous anger, which there is, and we'll get to later. But that kind of anger probably amounts to less than a percent of our anger. 99% of our anger is of the unrighteous kind, or as the Proverbs talk about, the foolish kind of anger. So we're gonna look at the marks of unrighteous anger, uh, the cause of it, and then overcoming it. Let's start with the the marks of unrighteous or foolish anger. Now, the Proverbs uh, uh, speak to a number of marks or signs of unrighteous anger. We're gonna look at three prominent ones. And the first is this. The Proverbs uh, tell us that unrighteous anger is hot-tempered, hot-tempered, flies off the handle, blows up quickly. Look at Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And then Proverbs twenty nine eleven, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Okay, so, so foolish anger is that anger that flies off the handle, hot temper, just blows up. This is the person that you have to walk around on eggshells, right? For fear of triggering it. Now, some of you are well aware that you have a hot temper. You're pretty self-aware. But there's also probably a number of you that that aren't aware that you're hot-tempered, that you blow up quickly. And the reason for that is (laughs) that people don't wanna confront you in that area because they don't wanna trigger the hot temper. And so you can can live and not be aware of it because people are on eggshells and would never even bring that up because they're afraid of the temper blowing up. So I would encourage you, if you, I'd encourage everyone, but if you question or wonder, do do I have a hot temper? I'd ask, ask your spouse, ask a close friend, ask somebody that's close to you and ask them. And the reason is that I I would encourage you to become aware of that is because a hot temper, hot temperedness makes home life, office life, and relationships miserable. And not only that, but a hot temper Promotes an atmosphere of deception uh, and an atmosphere of pretending and performing. And you can see why. If someone has a hot temper and you don't want to trigger it, what do you do? You you veil the truth. you, You perform for them so they don't get upset. You pretend, right? And so it creates this just very unhealthy environment in a home or in an office or even just in relationships, right? So, so unrighteous or foolish anger is, it's hot-tempered. Second, unrighteous anger is contentious, which means that it stirs up strife. Right? Look at Proverbs 15, 18. It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. In Proverbs 29, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much Transgression. So foolish anger stirs up strife. It's, uh, it, it's always looking for a fight. It's always looking for something to argue over. It's always looking to, to split hairs and nitpick, and it's always looking to prove a point. It, you know that. You know that kind of person. You've been around that kind of person. Just everything's a fight. In fact, uh, Bruce Waltke, he writes a commentary on Proverbs. He, he says this about contentiousness. His resentment of others causes him to seek a pretext to transform every difference into a fight. Every difference into a fight. And so he abounds in transgressing God's moral ordering of society. Third, so unrighteous anger is hot-tempered, it's contentious, and third, it's vengeful. It's vengeful. Look at Proverbs 24, 28 to 29. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. So so foolish or unrighteous anger is vengeful. It seeks to pay someone back for the wrong that they have done to you. And what I want you to see is that this vengeful type of or, or manifesting of anger falls into two categories. You can pay somebody back by exploding and, and verbally launching attacks on this perp- person and, and tearing them down with your words and maybe even physically assaulting them, right? That's the very, uh, I, I say, out front form of vengeance. But there's another form or way that you can pay somebody back. And that, that way is actually by retreating and pulling away. And removing yourself from the relationship and going quiet and and inflicting pain through silent treatment, right? It's it's more of a passive way to pay somebody back. And the reason I mention that is there's a number of you right now, I know that as we've talked about hot-tempered and contentious and vengeful, that you've let yourself off the hook. In fact, maybe you're nudging your spouse to make sure that he or she's listening, right? Or you're nudging your friend going, hey, you need to listen, Because you see yourself as a very... Uh, cool tempered person. You see yourself as a very even keeled person. You, you don't get upset. You generally don't get upset with people a lot, but there's a quiet anger that resides in your heart. There's, just a, there's a quiet bitterness that, that is seeking to inflict pain on somebody quietly in your heart for what they've done to you or how they've hurt you. Maybe you, you, you're wishing the worst upon them or you're hoping they fail, right? That, that's all a form of vengeance. It's just the more quiet kind, right? So those are the, those are the signs of unrighteous or foolish anger. Now, what's beneath all of that, right? What, what actually causes that? Because that's where we have to get to is what is the root of hot-temperedness and, and contentiousness and vengefulness? Where, what's the root of it? And Jesus talks about this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. Listen to what he says about anger. He says, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Now, what is Jesus saying about anger there? Well, he's saying that murder, which is an outward behavior, starts with anger in the heart. What he's saying is that anger doesn't start out here and make its way into your heart, right? That circumstances or people don't cause anger, that anger is actually what's in your heart and people and circumstances stir it up and stoke it. You know, we say this, we say a lot, uh, he makes me angry or she makes me angry. And that's not exactly true. Because that person doesn't cause you to be angry. That person uh, reveals or stirs up the anger that's already in your sinful heart. So anger is in your heart and it moves outward. It doesn't start outside and move in. Think of it as um, like a dormant disease. You know, there's diseases, HIV is one of them, but there's diseases that can be in your body um, that are dormant for years, even decades before they strike. Anger can be dormant in your heart. It can lie dormant. You can, you can feel like, I, I don't have an anger problem, or I really don't have anger in my heart, but then something happens in life, right? Something happens. Somebody does something, or or season of life changes, and you find this anger coming out of your heart, and what's important to realize is that that's not being caused by what's out there, right? That it's That it's in your heart, that it's part of your sinful heart. So Let's talk about that. What, what then stirs up the, door, the dormant anger in your heart? What stirs it up? James speaks of this in, in James chapter four, verses one to two. Listen to what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel what stirs up dormant anger in your heart it's unmet desires you want something but you can't get it and whoever or whatever gets in between you and what you want right, is the recipient of the anger that comes out of your heart let me give you just a couple examples of this and we could we could talk about a lot but let me give you a couple examples you may have wounds from your upbringing. We all do, because we are the products of mom and dads that are not perfect. But you may have wounds from your upbringing that now you're in marriage that are, um, that are, that are causing friction in your marriage, adversely. And you look back and you see how mom and dad didn't, uh, didn't teach you how to love well, or maybe didn't teach you how to communicate well. And so you want a healthy marriage, you want a healthy relationship, and you see that in your perspective, mom and dad are the cause of not modeling it growing up. So they're the reason I don't have a healthy marriage. And you get angry and bitter towards your parents. That's a reality. Or you want to rest after a long day's work, but you have several young toddlers. Ah, and it's bedtime. And it takes hours to put your toddlers to bed and they come out and they, oh, it, it's, it's a marathon. If you have young kids, bedtime is a marathon. <laughs> and you're just tired and you want to rest. So what happens? You want rest, and who's getting in the way of your rest? Your children. So you raise your voice. You get angry at them, right? Or your boss at work does something that keeps you from advancing in your career and getting a a raise and a promotion. You want the raise, you want the money, and your boss gives you maybe a bad performance review. Maybe you think it's an unjust performance review, whatever it is. And so you see what you want, and your boss is in the way of it. So what? Your anger comes out right, towards your boss. Or maybe you're in charge. Maybe you are the boss, and you have people working for you. And one of your employees does something that really hurts a project and, and really, therefore, hurts uh, your reputation as a project manager. And so you wanna be a good project manager, you want success, and now suddenly one of your employees gets in the way of it, so what happens, right? Your anger comes out against that person. That's James chapter four, right? You want something and something or someone gets in the way. That's what causes anger. And so when you have anger, you you have to back up and say, what am I wanting that I'm not getting that is stoking and stirring up this dormant anger? that's in my heart. And you need to realize that what you want that you're not getting is what you believe that will will ultimately make you happy or ultimately give you purpose in life or a reason for living or justifying your existence. That that something is out there that you're functionally treating as a God that's gonna save you and make your life worthwhile. And when something gets in the way of it, the anger comes out. Okay, so we've looked at the, the marks of anger, the cause of it, now let's get to overcoming anger. How do you overcome unrighteous or foolish anger, which amounts to about 99% of our anger? Well, there's two German entrepreneurs who have found a creative way to solve this problem. So I'm gonna read you the solution uh, to your unrighteous anger problem from these two German entrepreneurs who have put together a service that will deal with it. Let me read it to you. For the small fee of $2 per minute, callers can vent their frustration to a paid operator. The swearing hotline known as Schimpflos, which is German for swear away, is available 7 days a week. Callers can jeer, taunt, and curse at the paid operators. <laughs> but don't expect the operators to put up with uncreative milk toast swearing. At times, they'll provoke lackluster callers with rude comments like, that's the third time I've heard that today. Is that the best you've got? Rolf Schulte, one of the creators of Shimp Floss, says, we don't judge people who are angry. Schulte contends that his service is doing people a favor. If you're stressed at work, he argues, you go home and your partner gets an earful, even though it's not her fault. Instead, Schulte says, anger happens, it's natural. With us, you can blow off steam with no strings attached. And then I love this. For getting everything off your chest, our service is a bargain, right? So there you have it. That's the solution to anger, right? You just channel it somewhere else. Well, of course not. It doesn't solve your anger problem. It just, for a couple minutes, diverts it somewhere else. So how do you overcome it? Overcoming anger... And I will say that this is an individual sin and problem, but you know well that this has become a cultural problem in the United States. We're an angry nation, right? We're a hot-tempered nation right now for a variety of reasons. How do you overcome it? It's tied up in the life of Jesus Christ. As we've looked at the Proverbs, they are nuggets of wisdom, they're principles, and you could read it as just principles, But we've learned that the Proverbs and the wisdom that comes out is not ultimately a principle, but it's a person. 1 Corinthians 1 says that Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God. And so Jesus is the personification of all the wisdom that King Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom produces something very different than foolish anger. And every nugget of wisdom in the Proverbs that speaks towards something very different than foolish anger is displayed in the life of Jesus. So let me give you two examples of this. Proverbs 16.32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. This is a proverb that says there is amazing fruit From self-control. Self-control is a a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. There's this amazing fruit from self-control. You say, well, how did self-control manifest itself in Jesus' life? Well, a number of places, but in Matthew 4, when the devil tempts Jesus three different times and Jesus resists the temptation every time. These are temptations that you and I would fall apart and pray to over and over, right? But Jesus resists them three times. And then when he gets angry at those who are um, trying to uh, prove that he's wrong for healing on the Sabbath for legalistic and hypocritical reasons, he gets, he gets angry. So what I want you to see is this, this self-control. And as Jesus appro- approaches the crucifixion, we see he's being maligned and slandered, unjustly treated. And what's he do? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't retaliate right he shows this amazing self control and then if you look at uh, the proverbs also teaching not only the fruit of self control but the gift of forgiveness right we see that in proverbs 19:11 that wisdom produces the gift of forgiveness good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense and then proverbs 25 21 to 22 if your enemy is hungry give him bread to eat and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, this is a tough proverb. What does it mean? It means this that when you treat your enemy, or the person who has wronged you, or the person who has hurt you, when you treat them with grace and kindness and you extend forgiveness, you drive that person to one of two places either to Christ who bore judgment for them and forgives them or you drive them to the judgment of God where they bear judgment for themselves. But either way, the the wisdom frees you from having to retaliate. Frees you from having to retaliate. Now, how do we see this play out in the life of Jesus? How do we see it playing out in the life of Jesus? Well, 1 Peter 2 explains it. And if you know Peter, he was one of the disciples. He was one of the men who was close to Jesus. Peter was hot-tempered. Peter flew off the handle. Peter knew well what unrighteous anger was and what hot-temperedness was. When Jesus got arrested in the garden before his crucifixion, what did Peter do? He pulls out his sword, and he lops off the ear of the servant who was arresting Jesus. He was hot-tempered. And so when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, he understands what he's writing here. Listen to what he says. says that Jesus Christ entrusted himself to his father who was a perfect judge. And that's why he didn't retaliate. That God's a God of justice. That God will not just sweep sin under the carpet. That every last sin will be paid for. And so Jesus understood the justice of his father and understood that as he went to the cross, that justice would be served when he died and when he rose from the dead. And that's why Jesus, when he hung on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Jesus did not retaliate. Now here's the irony of Jesus' life. From our perspective, the times when he got angry, we kind of yawn and don't think he should have gotten that angry. The times when he didn't get angry, we think he should have gotten angry think about it. When did Jesus get angry? Well, when he cleared the temple, when he walked into the temple and he saw that there were people selling merchandise and treating it like a, a shopping mall, and this was the temple, the place for worship and prayer, he got angry. It was righteous anger. He flipped the tables over. And then as I said earlier, he got angry at those who were trying to um, prove him wrong or show that he was wrong for healing on the Sabbath for legalistic and hypocritical reasons. But what we see is that Jesus' anger was never tied up in his personal ego. That, that, that Jesus' anger was always a righteous anger directed at sin and injustice. And his personal eager, ego was never at the, at the center of it. Now, think about when Jesus did not get angry. Right? We have the picture of when he got angry. When did he not get angry? D.A. Carson, he writes on the Sermon on the Mount a comment that I think is spot on. Listen to what he says about the, uh, the, the shock that Jesus did not get angry and retaliate. He says, when he was unjustly arrested, so this is right before his crucifixion, when he was unjustly arrested, unfairly tried, illegally beaten, contemptuously spit upon, crucified, mocked, When, in fact, he had every reason for his ego to be involved, he didn't retaliate, and he made no threats. You see, we're just the opposite, aren't we? When our ego's involved, we get angry. But when there's sin and injustice multiplying, we kind of blink an eye at it. When our ego's involved, though, we get angry. And oftentimes when we even say we're defending an, unjusti- an injustice, oftentimes even then we're, we're, we're at a place of defending our own cause, right? That that's really what's at the, the heart of anger. And so we look at Jesus' life. When he got angry, we say, ah, yawn. When he didn't get angry, we say, why aren't you doing something, right? That's because our personal egos are always, or most of the time involved in our anger. And so the answer is, we need the life of Jesus. That's what we need. And how does that happen? How do you get it? How do you get the life of Jesus? James chapter one, verses 19 to 21 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The implanted word. What does that mean? Speaking of the word of God, which John 1 tells us is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ implanted in you. Notice here, the answer is not, I need Jesus' life as an example to follow. He is certainly worthy of emulating. But that's not the answer. You can't overcome your anger by just looking at Jesus' life and say, okay, I'm not going to get angry when my personal ego is involved because Jesus didn't get angry when his personal ego was involved. That won't work. No, you need the implanted word, which means the life of Jesus implanted inside of you. How's that happen? The Bible says that when you trust, Jesus Christ, when you believe that he lived the perfect life you could not live, and he died the horrendous death on the cross in your place to pay for your sins, that when you believe that, from your heart, that the Holy Spirit comes in and implants in you, dwells within you, and gives you the power to honor God with your life, overcome unrighteous anger, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what we read in Ezekiel. When the Lord says, listen to this, in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, that's the promise that God gives in Ezekiel and he fulfills it in Jesus. And he says, when you trust Jesus and you surrender your life to him, he comes and lives in you and gives you a new heart. A new heart that causes you, right, compels you, gives you a new desire to overcome unrighteous anger. So that you actually have the power to not fly off the handle, to not be contentious to not be vengeful. You have the power instead to love. There's a beautiful example of this uh, that Phil Reichen gives in his book. It's called the Way, Loving the Way Jesus Loves. And he shares this illustration as a picture of what non-irritable love looks like, right? Love that is the opposite of this unrighteous anger we've been talking about. And it took place in the 2009 pennant race. There was a baseball game between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Washington Nationals. And Phillies fan, Steve Conforto, was at this game with his three-year-old little daughter, Emily. And there was a foul ball that, that came back behind the plate towards the upper deck. And Steve Conforto reached over the railing and he caught this foul ball. His first and only foul ball, right? Every, every fan's dream. And when he took the ball and he handed it to his little daughter, Emily, she took it and threw it back over the railing, <laughs> down to the lower deck. You know, it was, probably on, it was on the Jumbotron. The entire, entire stadium gasped. And this father, Steve, was shocked. He finally gets a foul ball and his daughter chucks it over the railing. But then he did what a loving father should do. And he took his daughter and he embraced her and loved her instead of getting irritated with her or angry with her. And that is exactly how God loves you. He puts gifts in your hands that you could never catch yourself. (laughs) And sometimes without realizing it, you throw them away. And instead of getting irritated with you and angry with you, he loves you again because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then he gives you the freedom to go out and love others in the same way. And he gives you the grace that when people throw your love away, instead of getting irritated or angry at them, he gives you the grace to love them again because you have been loved again and again by God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Father, you are a God abounding in steadfast love. You're a God slow to anger. Your patience with us is immense. It's unfathomable. The number of times we receive a gift from you, which all of life is a gift, and the number of times that we throw it away, and the number of times that you love us again and again and again, because of what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. Father, if there are those here this morning who have never trusted Jesus Christ, who have never believed from the heart what he has done for them in living the perfect life and dying a horrible death, I pray this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would implant that truth in their heart, that they would respond and surrender to Jesus. And Father, for all of us who deal with unrighteous and foolish anger, for those of us who are hot-tempered and contentious and vengeful, we pray that you would implant by your Spirit every morning, every moment of every day, your Word that you would plant and Jesus Christ in us, that we would have the power to get angry in a righteous way when we should at sin and injustice, not to get angry when our personal egos are involved. Father, would you free us from our selfishness and do it because we have everything in Jesus. In Christ alone, we find salvation. In Christ alone, we find power to honor you with our lives, and to overcome unrighteous anger. We pray this all in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.